Thanks, Bryce. Um, I've been saying this every Sunday for weeks now. We're in the middle of a series on the Sermon on the Mount, and now we're sort of in a mini-series within that series on the Lord's Prayer. We've been, we've been going through the Lord's Prayer line by line, and I hope you're discovering uh, as much as I'm discovering that, that each of these lines in the Lord's Prayer is, is almost, it's like an iceberg, right? The line itself is what you can see, and the implications are far below the surface, just like apparently the word on the street or the word on the internet is that uh, 10% of an iceberg is visible above the water line and 90% of it is below the water line. And it seems like the Lord's Prayer is kind of like that as well. So we've been going through it line by line. Uh, we started with what is the basis of prayer, right? The basis of prayer is this family relationship that a believer has with God. If you are a Christian, if you love Jesus with all of your heart, I thought this would be safe there, clearly not. Um, if you love Jesus with all your heart, then God is your father and you are in a father-child relationship with him. That's the basis of prayer. And then we said that, that sort of the starting point of prayer is praise, reminding ourselves who God is. Hallowed be your name, that he is glorious, he is majestic. Your father is the almighty creator and sustainer of the universe. Your father is the one who simply speaks and the universe is uh, brought into existence. That's the kind of power that your father has. And so when you're praying, uh, hallowed be your name, you're actually asking God to make this character of his so real to you that you value him above anything else, that he matters to you more than anything else. Kids, you have things in your life that matter a lot to you. Your friends matter a lot to you. Your PlayStation matters a lot to you. Your bike matters a lot to you. Your parents matter a lot to you. But believe it or not, the Bible says that God should matter to you more than any physical material thing you could ever own. And even more than any earthly relationship you could ever have. That's, I hope, one of the reasons that people who aren't Christians aren't Christians. What I mean by that is, is they understand the to totality of Christianity. The, the absoluteness of Christianity. That Jesus doesn't just demand from us a little bit of our, uh, our allegiance, you know. We like him on weekends and holidays and all throughout May, but we like him and we desire to serve him and want to be in communion with him all the time. He's not an appendage that we carry around. He's not a genie in a bottle that we pull out when troubles arise and we simply rub it and hope that he'll pop out and give us what we need. No, 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 no. He is the most important person in our entire existence. And if I can just throw this out, I guess I'm still thinking kids can't be parents. If you could please teach your kids that you don't love them as much as you love Jesus, that would be a good thing. And that you don't love them as much as God does love them, that would be a good thing. Teach your children that the primary relationship in your life is not even your husband or your wife. The primary relationship in your life is between you and your God. Because listen, no other relationship you have 
has eternal consequences to it. I'm getting way, 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 way ahead of myself. This is just supposed to be an introduction about where we've been. Uh, where were we? Hallowed be your name. Okay, then. Thy will be done. We looked at thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And hopefully everything I just said helps you understand why we place thy will be done after we make sure that Jesus is hallowed. Because listen, to pray thy will be done is actually a pretty scary thing to think if you think about it. What you're saying is, is God, I do have a will, I have desires, I have wants, but I actually am going to lay them aside and I'm going to trust fully in you. And te- I, want, I need you to teach me to want what you want. Rather than to pursue my own wants, I want to pursue your wants. And the only way you're going to ever be able to pray that prayer is if God is the most important thing in your life. That's the only way it's going to happen. There is no way that you're going to say, Yes, Lord, tell me what to do all the time if he is not the most important thing in your life. So there's a logic to the prayer, right? We see the progression. We come today now to what's often described as the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer. Give us today our daily bread. Give us today or give us this day our daily bread. Now, I really like how uh, the Heidelberg Catechism puts it. Some of you may be familiar with this document. The Heidelberg Catechism is what's called a confession. It was written in the 1500s. And it was written to explain the teachings of the Bible. Like, the Bible's a big book, okay? Like, long, very long. Anybody who ever tried to read the whole Bible within a year, I try to do that every year, you know that you got to read a lot every day to get through it because it's such a big book. And the stuff that the Bible teaches about God and about people and about the world and about everything, it's, it's taught all over the place, right? In different ways. And so these, these confessions were written to sort of systematize the teaching of the Bible so that you're like, hey, what does the Bible say about prayer? Well, rather than having to flip through all these different passages to find it, you can go to a document like the Heidelberg Catechism, you can read what it says, and then you understand something about prayer. And here's what the Heidelberg Catechism says about give us today our daily bread. This is what it means. You're, this is what you're praying when you pray this part of the prayer. Take care of all our physical needs so that we come to know that you are the only source of everything good and that neither our work or worry nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. And so help us to give up our trust in creatures and to trust in you alone. It's a beautiful summary. What I would like to do this morning is I would like to to walk through this uh, this petition with you. I'm going to look at three aspects of it. We're going to look at three implications of it. And hopefully then we'll understand and appreciate it a little more deeply. So let's go. First of all, aspect number one, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus tells us to pray for bread. Why does Jesus tell us to pray for bread? Every scholar says the same thing. It's significant that Jesus says bread. He doesn't say, give us today our daily steak, give us today our daily lobster, give us today our daily, insert your favorite Starbucks drink here. He says bread because 
bread was something that was eaten regularly as a staple in the culture. They probably ate it at every meal. Just like in some cultures, people eat rice at every meal and they eat mostly rice at every meal. This is the thing that represents that which you must have that you cannot live without. This is our bread. This is the thing that we need to have to have life. Now, think about it. Jesus, later on, he calls himself the bread of life. And what he's saying is, is is without me, if you don't have me, if you're not being daily sustained by me in relationship with me, you are spiritually dead. And so here, he's reminding us that all our physical needs, the basic essentials of human life are supplied to us by God. And elsewhere, he says, all the basic essential spiritual needs of life are supplied by God as well. Food, right? Clothing, shelter. These are the basics that we need. You need food to survive. You need clothing to survive. You need shelter to survive. And you need Jesus to survive. So when you pray, give us today our daily bread, you're not just asking for the physical needs, the basics, you know, the the bare bones, what I need to get by physically, but you're also asking for what you need to get by spiritually. You're asking God to reveal more of Jesus to you, more of his love, more of his grace, more of his glory, more of his power, more of his his justice and more of his mercy, okay? So it's bread. We're asking for that which we need to survive. Second aspect. It's give us today our daily bread. Give us today our daily bread. Each day we are called to ask God for our basic needs for that day. We're not asking God to provide for the future. It says, ask for today's bread. He's, you're, not, you're not asking God to provide enough for you to retire on. You're not asking God to give you enough so that you can help your kids buy a house. You're not even asking God to, to give you enough so that you can, can cover tuition for the coming year. You're asking God for what you need today in the here and now. Now, does that mean you're not supposed to bother with, you know, making sure that, that you're thinking about your retirement? Does that mean you're, you're not supposed to try to help your kids buy a house? Does that mean that you're, you're not supposed to worry about these things at all or be concerned about these things at all? No, that's not it. Rather... Jesus is showing us that no matter how well we plan, no matter how disciplined we are, no matter how shrewd we might be, we are actually in day-to-day dependence upon God constantly. We feel very often self-sufficient as we go about our daily lives. We feel like we're making it happen. We feel like we're providing for ourselves. And that, friends, is actually an illusion. And Jesus is calling us to, be bro- to break through the illusion and realize that every moment of every day is lived according to the grace of God. Every time your heart beats, every time your lungs expand with the intake of air and expel the CO2 in order that you can breathe, breathe and live... That is lived by God's grace. There's a place in, in James where 
James, who, who must have been the, the grumpy uh, apostle, puts it so very straightforward with people. He says this in verse 13 of chapter 4. Listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. James is challenging human arrogance that lives under the illusion that somehow we are kind of in charge of, of our lives and our destiny and we're the ones who are making things happen for us. He's saying, no, 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 you don't realize that your life can change on a dime in a moment. You are a mist. You are, how do I put this? You are a hair's breadth from death at every given moment in your life. My mom was 73 year, 72 years old, had a little bit of cholesterol problems, but she had been able through diet to work herself off the Lipitor. No history of real any serious problems. 72 years old, seems pretty healthy. One Sunday morning, a bomb goes off in her brain. They call it a hemorrhagic stroke. Five days later, she died. I had just seen her the day before where she had told me, my mom was a very, very, very Dutch woman, she had told me that her and my dad had just gone to look at a new vehicle and it was a, called a uke. A uke. We went to see a uke. What are you talking about, Mom? There's something called a Nissan Juke. And the next day, she falls over on the kitchen floor and she can't talk. Five days later, she's gone. Now, there is a profound lesson in what Jesus is saying. When he says, give us this day our daily bread, we're, we're going we're gonna to talk a little bit more about the arrogance thing. But, but what he's saying here is, you have needs for today that are different from the needs you will have tomorrow. You have many needs that are the same day after day. You always need food. You always need shelter. You always need clothing. But you also have many Things that are going to come up tomorrow that are not part of today's concerns. We'll see this uh, played out a little bit more when Jesus teaches us not to worry a little later in the Sermon on the Mount. But what he's saying here is ask for today's needs. Don't worry about asking for tomorrow's. Don't try to go to God and deal with him the way you deal with your guinea pig. When you're going away for a few days, I met someone in VBS who told me about guinea pigs. Uh, that they have a bunch of guinea pigs. They're starting a guinea pig farm. So watch out, everybody. You're going to get accosted by young people asking if you want to buy a guinea pig, possibly. But what do you do when you're going away for three days? You give your guinea pig enough food and enough water for three days, and then your dumb guinea pig goes and eats it all in day one and drinks it all in day one, and now it spends two days hungry and thirsty. You don't want God to give you the next five years of grace that you need. You don't want him to give it to you today because you wouldn't know how to handle it anyway. But you can trust that God will give you daily grace for your daily life and his mercies are new every morning, the apostle or the, the psalmist says. 
When the future comes, you need to remember that he will be there and give you what you need then. Give us this day our daily bread. And then thirdly, give it. Give us this day our daily bread. These basic things, friends, are not earned. Listen, I know that you work hard. Many of you work very, very hard. And so when you look at the material blessings that you have, you naturally want to say, well, hey, you know, this is a result of hard work and a bit of sheared management, etc. And that makes sense. The book of Proverbs calls us to be wise and shrewd and not be foolish with our money and not be stupid. And the book of Thessalonians says in chapter uh, uh, 2 Thessalonians 3 verse 10, it says if, if a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. And so you know that there is a direct correlation between your labor and your success. Absolutely. But we also know that there are lots of people out there in the world who work very, very hard and are nevertheless not successful for all kinds of reasons. No one has control of the weather. And so they live under drought conditions and so their crops don't grow and no matter how hard they work, if they don't have water, they simply cannot cause those things to grow. You know, farmers probably know this better than the rest of us. I grew up in a farming community and it was a, a, a regular occurrence that every year in the spring we would have a special prayer service uh, where we would ask God to bless the growing season. And I hated going to it. I was a kid. It was on a weeknight. There were sitcoms to watch or there were sports to play. But I was sitting in church asking God to send rain and sun foolishly thinking, what's the point of all of this? This stuff just happens. God turns the world and there's physics and, and laws of nature and all this stuff just happens. And only as I got older and wiser did I come to realize that, no, it doesn't just happen. Ask people in Saskatchewan right now who are pleading, pleading with God for some rain. But at least in the West, we have crop insurance. See, the other thing is, is that, that you and I, we, we live in the first world. One of the things I like about Jordan Peterson is, is he recognizes the astounding miracle that is Western culture. Like, we have roads that we can drive on. We have electricity that when we turn the light on, we just expect it to turn on, and, and it's there. And, and if, if our electricity goes out for 20 minutes, we're on the phone with Horizon or Electra saying, what's wrong? Where's my electricity? And around the world, there are people clinging to the cliff, sides of a cliff, trying to eke out an existence, never having even heard about air conditioning or running water or proper sanitation. We currently have a bunch of uh, uh, university students from McMaster, international students living in our, in, our, in our house, and we had them over for a barbecue. And one guy, he says, this coming to Canada was the first time that I experienced temperatures lower than 29 degrees Celsius. And I said, oh man, you guys like, you must have air conditioning. He says, air conditioning? I never even heard of air conditioning until I came to Canada. We have material blessings beyond our wildest dreams. And Jesus says, 
pray, give us. Give us as a reminder that, look, we do not deserve these provisions, friends. If I may be so bold, let me tell you what you do deserve. Death. Judgment. No good thing from the hand of God. Romans 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. This is what we deserve. And listen, if you're a Christian, please realize this. Like, Lord willing, you have learned to follow Jesus more than you did before you were a believer. Before you were a believer, you lived for yourself. And all that mattered was getting your, your agenda done and making sure that you got what you needed for your life to be enjoyable or to be comfortable or to be successful or to be whatever it is you wanted it to be. And then you became a Christian and you realized that, that it was better to give than to receive. You realized that living for Christ was better than living for yourself. But here's the thing. You realize also that you still have a tendency to live for yourself. And so even though you're a believer, your life right now, even if it's a really pretty good life, even if you're wrestling with looking back on your days and thinking to yourself, well, you know, I, you know I'm, not a, I'm not an axe murderer. I'm not, even, I'm not even cheating on my taxes. And doesn't everybody do that? I mean, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a pretty upright person. You still deserve death. Our lives lived on this earth will always deserve death because sin will always cling to us. And yet, what do we get? Romans 6, verse 23, the wages of sin is death, but, 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 the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. The gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, God in his grace gave us a gift. He said, I'm not going to condemn you with the death that you deserve. I'm going to give you life because my son is going to take that death for you. He's going to experience that judgment on your behalf. And when you put your trust in him, you receive new life, not death and condemnation. And please understand, Paul is saying the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. This is something that you receive in and through Christ Jesus. You don't just receive it because he did it. You receive it by faith. If you're not a Christian here and you say, well, maybe what your stuff is you're saying is true, but I don't really need to believe that because, you know, I've got my own way of understanding things, but hey, I'm glad that it happened in case we needed it. You're still under God's judgment because you are not putting your trust in the one who provided the gift. A gift is only useful to you if you receive it. If God is holding on to a gift and he says, take it, and you go, mm, I'd rather not, that gift means nothing to you. If you're drowning in, in an ocean of sin and you're going down and going under and God throws you the lifeline and says, here, take it, Here's a, it's a gift and you can live, and you say, I don't like the color of your lifeline. I wanted pink and yours is yellow. You're going to sink and die. You need to grab onto it. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus gives us new life. 
the opposite of what we deserve, which is death. Okay, those are the three aspects. Very briefly now, the three implications. The first implication is this. This part of the prayer is meant to enable us to understand, (laughs) is meant to enable us to understand, yeah, that makes sense, that our lives are lived in complete and total dependence upon God. Now, think of something. Think about this. Most people don't have a problem asking God for big stuff. Most people are happy to get on their knees and pray when they have a kid who's going off rails, uh, when they have a business that's going south, when they have an an impending uh, uh, diagnosis from the doctor on the way. I don't know anybody really who has that much of a hard time getting down on their knees and saying, God, I am powerless. I need you. I'm praying that you will please intervene here. Hear my prayer. I'm begging you. But the basics... Like your daily bread? Seriously. We just assume the food will be there, right? I mean, if your fridge is bare, and rarely is someone's fridge bare in our culture, you, most of you, within an hour, you're in your car, you're on your way to the grocery store, you fill up your cart, you pay your bill, you drive back home, and you stock up your fridge. Like the hardest part of the daily bread issue is like deciding what brand of bread you're going to buy. We are self-reliant in our culture, dangerously self-reliant. We are richer, healthier, safer than any other culture in the history of the world. And we think we are in control. But we're not. Remember that statement from James in James chapter 4. Well, listen... Listen to what God says to the rich man building up his barns in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 20. And he told them this parable, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, hey, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The catechism says something interesting. It says, neither our work or worry nor your gifts can do us any good without your blessing. In Luke 12, Jesus' point is this. God has given you tremendous gifts. This farmer, his crops popped up and yielded a hundredfold, and he had his barns overflowing, and he was sitting pretty, and it was all awesome. But he didn't recognize it as a gift from God. Without your blessing, even our successes are meaningless. How easy it is for us to equate material success with God's blessing. But what about the two-thirds world that still lives in virtually subsistent conditions? Is God not blessing them? Totally. 
total dependence on God, friends. That's how we need to live our everyday life. Praying for your basics, is, it's an act of humility, you know? Knowing that you moment by moment depend on God's grace. That's the first implication. The second implication is praying, give us this day our daily bread, is an expression of complete submission to God's wisdom. Now, why would that be? Think about this. We're admitting that God knows best. Give us this day our daily bread. Remember, the bread is our most basic needs. He's a a father, not a genie in a bottle, and we ask him to give us what we need, not necessarily what we want. And that's a good thing because very often we confuse our wants with our needs. I was talking to a young person, uh, one of the kids in VBS. We were having a conversation and this person said to me, you know, I'm nine years old and it's about time I got a smartphone. And I said, what? I need that. What we need, oftentimes, sorry, what we want is not what we need. Or, or what, we, what we want isn't even any good for us anyway. See, a good parent knows the difference of a need and a child's interpretation of a need. A good parent knows the difference between the need and our, our interpretation of a need. Why did this kid need a smartphone? Well, this kid wanted a smartphone because he saw that other kids had smartphones or they had iPod things or whatever to play games on and, and they weren't actually fitting in and they wanted to belong and they wanted to be part of the group and, and so they wanted this. Now, a smart parent says, I understand, you want to make friends and you want to fit in, so let's have a bunch of your friends over. Let's get to know them. Let's learn to pro- uh, hang out together and, and enjoy doing things with each other that don't require all this technology because a good parent discerns what the need is underneath the perceived need. Do you get what I'm saying? And God always gives us what we need. Not always what we want. And, and some of you are confusing that, and so you're feeling like your, your prayers aren't being answered. You're not, you're not hearing back from God, and, and the truth is, is that God always answers prayers, but sometimes His answer is no rather than yes. If God always gave you what we wanted, He would be a cruel God. When I was 16, I hung out with guys who were all gearheads and into cars and stuff like that, and I wasn't really into it, but I wanted to fit in and so it was time to buy a car I had worked hard at part-time jobs and I had some money and I got my eye on a 67 Firebird it had a 350 engine in it but it was bored out so it was a big block not a small block I still don't really even know what that means all I knew was this thing had a ton of horsepower and it was really fast and my parents foolishly said go ahead you can buy it thank God that this guy who was selling it at the last minute decided he didn't want to sell. And because I wasn't really into cars and all I really wanted was a car, I turned around and got myself a 1985 Pontiac Sunbird hatchback with 84 horses under the hood. Little four banger. It was kind of peppy because it had a five, five speed, but it was safe because I couldn't wrap myself around a tree in that thing if I tried. Trusting the wisdom of God, friends. That's what we're doing when we say, give us our daily bread. And you know, you need to be a child to do that. Not childish. You need to be 
childlike to do that. See, childishness and childlikeness are very, very different. Childishness is this. Give me what I want. No, I'm not going to give you what you want. In fact, I'm going to give you something better than what you want, but you're going to have to wait. Well, if you're not going to give me what I want, then I don't want anything. Saw it at VBS all week long. Some kids got a, were doing a, an activity or something, and some kid, for some crazy reason, says, I don't want to do that. Says, Fine, don't do it. Then you've got to go sit in the corner while everybody else does it. And they sit in the corner, and they watch everybody else do it, and then you can just see them grumpier and grumpier because now they're missing out. They do foolish things. That's what we do as children. We say to God, this is what I want. And he says, no, I'm not going to give you that. I need you to wait on me and trust in me. I've got something better in mind for you. And we raise our fist and we say, how in the world can that be? I know what I need when we don't. Very often don't know what we need. Tim Keller has a line about prayer that has haunted me ever since I heard it the first time. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything he knows. A child trusts their parent. Being childlike means trusting your parent, meaning you know you're in absolute dependence, but you're also going to live in absolute submission. Last one. Third implication. Give us this day our daily bread means go to God with everything. With everything. Yeah, the big stuff is easy because we're so terrified and we feel so powerless that we're happy to run to God with that. But go to him with the little stuff. You know, Jesus' first miracle, it's the, it's the changing of water into wine. Think about this. Like, they're at a wedding reception. They're out of wine. Kind of a social faux pas. Mary goes to Jesus and says, Ah, they're out of wine! <laughs> Son of God, who has come to save the world, they're out of wine! And what does Jesus do? He makes some of the, well, probably the best wine ever been produced on this earth. He meets their needs. I remember at my, in a meeting in another church once we were talking about taking prayer requests from the congregation in, in services and someone said, well, what if a kid, what if a kid like raises their hand and starts asking for a new bike or, you know, their hamster died and they're sad or whatever. And like, are we going to, we're going to receive those too? And the, the resounding response from God is yes. Yes. See, our Father is honored when we ask him for everything and anything. Any parent will tell you when their little boy or little girl jumps into their lap and says, this is what I want, mom or dad. This is what I need, mom or dad. We delight in having them open their heart to us and share honestly what's going on inside because that's what we're doing when we bring our requests. And if that's how it is for an earthly parent like me, who is oftentimes far less patient with my children than I should be, how much more is that true of our Heavenly Father who is perfect and infinitely patient and infinitely wise and infinitely good? 
give us this day our daily bread. Let's pray. Father, so much more could be said because this petition, like all the others, is deep and profound. But one thing it does teach us and we, we need to be reminded of, Father, is that we live moment by moment in utter dependence upon you. Now, Father, to know that is utterly freeing because it means that it's not up to us ultimately to take care of our needs. It is up to you. We must simply ask and trust. Give us the faith to trust. Give us the humility to ask and give us the peace and the freedom that comes from knowing that you delight in answering your children's prayer. All good things come from your fatherly hand, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So oftentimes we'll uh, take a moment or two to answer any questions that people might have uh, from the message. And uh, we do have a couple of minutes this morning. Uh, if anybody has a question, they, you know, like something for clarification or, uh, you know, go a little deeper in something, feel free to, to ask that question now. Okay, I, I'm, I'm going to resist the temptation to uh, start preaching again. <laughs> Despite... <laughs> um, here's a great question that I'm probably going to struggle to answer, if I'm honest. How do you teach your soul dependency on God? There is prayer, meditation... But any other practical things we can do in our daily life uh, to teach ourselves soul dependency on God? Um, so, I, I, this is all I got for you. Uh, and if anybody else has ideas, feel free to raise your hand. But this is what I would say. Um, uh, uh, it's really, really important to practice daily rituals. So when we say prayer, yeah, but not just like, oh, I should pray, like at the beginning of the day, pray before I go to work or something. Um, you know, David says that he meditated on God's law uh, and God's word day and night. He had a ritual of prayer. Um, there are people who uh, not only have a morning devotional time, but at lunch they set an alarm, and at lunch their alarm goes off on their phone, and it reminds them that it's time for them to pray, not just uh, um, before meals, but to spend a period of time in prayer over the day that's been, and to see, remind themselves of God's provision. Um, praying before meals regularly is a, a, a very useful an important, I believe, extremely important way of continually reminding yourself that you live in absolute dependence on God. It's super easy, like if you work at a cubicle by yourself or something, or, or like if you're me, and you spend a lot of time alone, actually, uh, you can just 
heat up the food in the microwave or do whatever and sit down and just mow it down and not even take a moment to realize where it comes from. Uh, one of the things that uh, I've heard people do that has been very, very powerful in their lives is to, is to keep a thankfulness journal. Uh, so you, each day you write down a number of things, maybe 10 things that you are thankful for, things that God, you've, you've had at VBS, we call them God sightings. So you've had a God sighting in your day and you say, wow, like this is where God came through and allowed something to happen. Like, this may sound silly. A little thing like, I've, I will drop a dish on the floor and it won't break. And I'll say, ah, oh, thank you, Lord. Now I don't have to clean up a broken dish. That may seem small and silly, but it's, it's an expression that, that God is actually there and present and at work in whatever you do. So that's one of the things I would uh, suggest. 